Welcome back to Out of the Question. I'm pretty excited to be interviewing a duo this week, possibly Australia's funniest duo. They're Melbourne Comedy Festival favourites, they're winners of the Edinburgh Fringe Perrier Award, and they've made two hilarious seasons of their sitcom on the ABC. I speak, of course, of the great, the iconic, Lano and Woodley. Throughout this interview with Colin Lane and Frank Woodley, we talk about how they started off as a trio called The Found Objects with a writer-performer called Scott Casley. They also talk about performing comedy when you're grieving, as well as performing comedy immediately after a partner's given birth. And they also reveal that in 30 years of working together, they've never told each other to get fucked. But that may or may not change during the course of this interview. On a serious note, Lano and Woodley are about to embark on their most ambitious show yet, a comic, demented, their words, version of the Herman Melville novel, Moby Dick, which is touring all over the country. As usual, I start off by asking Frank and Colin how their fellow workers would describe them. Well, you you said just before that this is the first time you've done like a duo or more than one person. Mm. So should I just ask Frank how he would describe me? Because we should go into separate. I'll leave. I'll leave the room. You say how I how I think you would describe me. I'll stand up the back here. No, 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 no. You, I just thought. I, and then, and then I'll He's describe left you. Okay, this is this is this is how I this was this this would be how I describe Frank. Um, how do we know? How do we tell him that we finished? I'll wave to him. I'll, I'll okay. Turn okay. okay. This, this, this is how I would describe Frank. Um, skinny, uh, sunken-eyed, smelly. Uh, tardy, um, uh, up himself, um, a, um, a big fan of his own opinion. <laughs> no, look, I, I would, I would, I would describe Frank as very, very thoughtful, but I also think that he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a scholar of comedy as well. Mm. I think that. When I do comedy, it's a bit more instinctive and most of the stuff or the material that I come up with is more spontaneous and off the cuff, whereas I think Frank has actually studied the the mechanics of a joke, the mechanics of a setup, the mechanics of a payoff. And basically he's got a bookshelf and I haven't, but also on his bookshelf, He's got many, many books about comedy, about comedians, about comedy writers, and I, I, re- I really respect that because he, he works hard and he works harder than me, I think, when it comes to uh, the, the, the creation of a show and a creation of a joke. So he knows all Charlie Chaplin's films, Buster Keaton films, um, he likes to tell people about his favourite Laurel and Hardy routine um, and about the, the fine line between the, the, the setup of the joke where it's about, you know, pushing the boundaries and how far you push over that to actually get people to laugh out of shock, that whole theory. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I think that he's, he's got, he's got a lot more going for him than, than me. <laughs> Come on, Frank. Come on, Frank. 
I thought you, I thought you were going to say like a sentence or something, and I'm over there like bloody Moses, drops <laughs> under my arms. To... How would you describe Colin? Um, I'd say that he's like um, he's he's a very kind person. He's very. Um, I'm not going to block my ears. I'm just going to listen. You know, he's he's a very kind person. He he doesn't like um, confrontation. So he tends to kind of avoid any kind of confrontation type situations. And when they happen, he gets, he wants to get out of there quite quick. Um, he's got amazing comic intuition. He, like, I would say that out of the two of us, he probably does uh, more really good writing on the stage as opposed to in the writing room. He, that's his... That's where he kind of, which some people might describe as laziness. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go with, I'm going to describe it as comic intuition. Um, yeah, is that? Thank you. Do I need Thank to say more? I love that. So you're both kind of on the same level as as to where, where you're at. And, you know, the, the, the notion that some people um, are heavily... Uh, in the writer's room and some people are kind of in the moment, that's that's actually a great combination and it probably points to your longevity. We didn't control, we were just lucky that we met each mm. other in terms of that comic chemistry. It's not like we went, oh, you know, why don't you play the kind of attention deficit disorder guy and I'll be the, I'll be the kind of boss of the, I'll be the adult. And it was just the natural, we just got on stage, started trying to make the audience laugh and it just, the audience help guide us into that classic comedy duo mm. mode. And we're just lucky that we just naturally have that kind of but chemistry. I, but I think, but I think right. in some ways what Frank was saying before about me disliking confrontation is that when people talk about, I don't even know whether it's true or not about the urban myths about Dee Martin and Jerry Lewis or, or Laurel and Hardy or Abbott and Costello, how they were, you know, at loggerheads or they argued constantly or, you know, by the end of it, they couldn't even share the same dressing room. I Maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm childlike in my attitude, but you can't write comedy if you hate the other person. You can't <laughs> construct mucking around, um, wackiness, um, yeah. spontaneity by hating the guts of the other person you're dealing with. And, and because I hate confrontation, if there is a confrontation, I mean, I, I think that in 25, 30 years, Frank and I have never told each other to get fucked, basically. And, and, and I haven't even wanted to. You know, I might have wanted to say, shut up. But I, I've never said, you know, you're shitting me so much, I don't want to, you know, we, and if we, if we, if we have a if we have a rehearsal that goes for ten hours or something, and then we, we we know that we don't say, "Do you want to go and have dinner now together?" We 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 just we just know that. So it's I don't I don't know how people have been in comedic relationships where they've they've argued and and got really tense with each other. I don't understand because how when you are creating comedy. It's a thing, even we don't understand, even after doing it for this long, we don't really understand it. That the difference between comic gold, something that has the audience belly laughing and is absolutely, we're just going, oh, thank you to the comedy gods that we found that little bit of stuff. The difference between that 
and a thing that isn't funny at all, and it's an embarrassment that you performed that on stage in front of people, the difference, it's almost indistinguishable. You know, so if you're not in the mood, if you're not in the playful mood, how are you possibly going to recognise the gold if you're not... Yeah. If you're not almost laughing already. Yeah. That's just the way it works. I mean, Barry Humphreys used to say, you know, backstage, you, you need to start feeling funny before you go on. Yeah. Right. Um, you, have, you have to be in a good mood. You can't mm. kind of, you can't just, you can't just turn it on as soon as you, as soon as you hit the stage, you, you've got to be, um, I, I don't know whether I'm just making up stories that aren't true, but I think, 99.9% of the time, no matter what Frank and I are feeling, we still have fun on stage. And once it starts uh, happening, once it's rolling, you kind of once it's to... rolling along, you, you forget what happened during the day or what you're tense about or what you're insecure about, and you and you enjoy enjoy the 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 the, the, the silliness train. Do you have a little I've routine? Had a couple of biz- Sorry, Gavin, you, oh, sorry. Do you have a little routine just before you go on to get yourself in the mood? I think we do. We do actually share a dressing room. And I think part of that is so that we just get together and we just crap on a bit in just right. some way. So you just get a little bit of rapport going before you before you hit the stage. So we don't have like a particular ritual or, or anything, but and I personally like to... I like to have a costume for the given show that's that's discreet to that particular show. And then just the act of getting dressed into that costume, I, I like that. I like if that takes me 15 minutes to to do that. That's shifting into this is this is my world now, is this mm. thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that helps. Um, I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you before, though, Frank. Do you remember what you were going to say? I was just going to say that thing of enjoying performing on stage. I, I have had a couple of experiences where that are, are really kind of dis, discombobulating or disconcerting, where you're grieving the death of a of a family member, and you're doing, and you have to do a show. And you're still in shock. It's you've only found out that day that it's happened. Oh my god! And you're still in shock. And this this, this weird um, disconnect thing happens where, because particularly in the duo, it doesn't happen so much in when if I'm performing solo because you don't have an opportunity to stop. You just start the show and you do the show and then you get through the end of it and go, oh, that's right, that person's dead. But I have had the experience where performing with Cole where. If he's doing something, you know, you have these little moments. They might only last for twenty seconds, but of of repose, sort of. Wow. And that's a weird thing where you go through that show that might go for an hour, twenty minutes. There's about five times through the show that you're caught up in the silliness and you're having fun, and then you go, "Oh no, that's right, that thing's happened." But I'm not allowed to think about that oh now, and then God. back into the yeah into the fun. But that's very you almost well, always. There's nothing quite as pressing or as shocking as that that is. Or conversely, I think in 2006, when Frank and I were doing the goodbye tour, we were in Brisbane when my wife had a baby at five o'clock in the afternoon. And then... Oh, my God. Yeah. And then the show was was at eight or something. And then at 
20 past five, I finally picked up my phone and then our producer said, so are you doing the show tonight or not? And I went, well, I don't know. And they said, and then Marnie, my lovely wife said, go on, go and do the show. <laughs> I, my sister and my mother are here, go and do the show. And then you don't have to put on an extra show. I'll be fine. And then you have this quick wow. little conversation in your head about your morals and ethics and, <laughs> and, 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 how the, will the, history the, judge you? The, the, <laughs> legacy, the legacy that I leave and will I tell my children? And <laughs> and then you go and do the show and then Frank's crapping on for 20 seconds or something and I'm standing up the back just going, huh, huh. two hours ago I was there. Isn't, wow. that, isn't that weird? And, and for some kind of, I don't know, pious or I don't know whether that's the right word or kind of noble gesture in my head, I'm just going, I'm not going to tell the audience. I'm not even. I'm, uh, not, even, I'm not even going to tell them. Right. But I just had this little. It was kind of that fun thing of just playing that little game in your head where you just go, "They don't know. They don't know where I was two hours ago." And you and know that there's like coursing through your body is this sort of adrenaline and mm, yeah, and excitement. Um, th this will be interesting. Uh, question two is always interesting for comedians. What's the most unhelpful feedback you've received? Um, I've realized because Cole mentioned some of the questions and then I've realized that what's the worst feedback you've got. And I've just taken that as the worst advice. So can I just tell you the worst advice? Yeah, please. Got? Yeah. Um, when I was in primary school, this kid called Terry McMahon, he, he said, I've got some advice for you. And I was like, yeah, I'm all ears. And he said, if you chop off your penis, if you cut it off, it grows back bigger. <laughs> and I really regret that I, because I trusted Terry a lot. So that's probably the worst advice I've had. It turned out it was just a prank. It was a prank. <laughs> what about you, Cole? That's given you some thinking time. Did he have to do the cutting off as well? or? No, no, no. I just got some craft scissors and went, well, this is going to work out well. Craft scissors. That's just such a, a, a 40-year-old reference that nobody in this century would understand. <laughs> um, I I mean, I do, I do remember... Um, not to say that I'm amazing or anything, but I do remember. Oh, you are doing, amazing, though. I'm, I'm doing. I want <laughs> you to say that I'm amazing, but I'm not going to say that I'm amazing. But I did QI a few times in London. Oh wow! With my mate Alan Davis, and and I remember the producers, and that they were lovely people, and they just went, "Look, if you, you know, if, I think it was my first time," and they said, "Look, it's just a dinner party. Just sit there, observe. If you've got nothing to say." You know, don't think that you have to say something like this is not like a panel show where people yell and talk over each other and try and get their joke out in a louder fashion than anybody else. But if you've got nothing to say, like at a dinner party, don't don't say anything. Just wait till something, you know, comes up that you want to say. And then after about an hour, there was a break. And then the producer came in and went, you've got to, you've got to say something. <laughs> <laughs> We, we haven't got you all the way like, over to Australia to say nothing. You've you actually got to contribute something. Like, <laughs> you can't just be the Mr. Mute. Um, oh, wow. And I think also, I think when we used to be in a trio, the found objects back in 1934, Scott, the third member, I remember us doing a spot on TV 
and we were all pretty confused about how it went. And I think Scott suggested that we should watch it back to figure out what went wrong and what went right. And that's how you learn is watching yourself back. And I reckon that that was more soul destroying than actually the feeling that you got after you did the spot that was a little bit shit because it's just a hundred percent confirmation in your head that your head that you are shit (laughs) (laughs) so don't look back instead of just this selective memory about you know, and, and, and memory is, a, as we all know, memory is a really strange thing. Memory changes over mm-hmm. hours, days, weeks, months, years. And it can, it, can, it can alter, it can change, it can kind of meld into other things. So watching it back like two weeks later, it was just, I, I've never done it since then <laughs> because it, it, just, it just proved without any, without any reasonable doubt that, it, it was shit and you have to reassess your whole career. Oh, yeah. So it's a really I tell you what, thing. I remember watching that too. It was about 35 years ago and I remember watching it and Colin was shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, me and Scott, blistering talent. But Who was Scott? Who was Scott? Um, Scott Casley and he, he um, we were together for about five years as a trio and uh, he was... Um, a brilliant kind of very funny guy, very eccentric guy. He, I felt like I learned a lot from him about comedy, about he was really into the thing of taking mundane things and elevating them to, you know, the, to the sacred, which is a yeah, great yeah. comic device, you know. So we, he wrote a song about Tim Tams and celebrating Tim Tams as if they were like a gospel song about Tim Tams. And we, he also wrote a song about Punt Road, uh, you know, <laughs> which is a terrible clogged up, you know, arterial and um, and we elevated Punt Road to like a, you know, a sacred, almost a rite of passage. Is is so he? I felt like I learned a lot about comedy writing from Scott actually. But it is interesting what you what you're saying with the with the memory, because it is able to recalibrate it and it is able to kind of like sift out all the bad things. So, yeah, to 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 revisit something, I remember, you know, I did a a spot on the project before Christmas. And, and by the time I walked from channel 10 back to the hotel, I, in my mind, I'd recalibrated it, that it was actually okay. Yeah. And yeah. then, um, then my wife and I watched it together and it was clear by her face that no, it wasn't okay. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Don't ever watch anything with your wife. <laughs> no. that, I think don't, that's something I've learned. Don't, I mean, watch don't things, watch, but not things you're in. That's don't, watch, don't watch anything with your wife and don't try any jokes out on your wife. Yeah, <laughs> no, don't. Never, ever. What you need is a 500 to 1500 strong paying audience <laughs> that adore you. To judge whether something's funny or not, not somebody like, like this is kind of kind of irrelevant, but not the person where you're on tour in Adelaide or somewhere, and you're just having a great time, and you go, oh, "I better ring home," and you ring home at like six o'clock at night and go, "Oh, good day, how are you going? What what are you doing? What what are you up to?" And the wife and my wife just goes, "What do you think I'm up to?" <laughs> I remember we were in we were in Western Australia on a comedy road show. And we organised to go swimming with whale sharks. 
which oh, are wow. these massive sharks that eat plankton, I think. So they're like harmless, but they're like, and, they, and they've got this beautiful spotted motley. They almost look like an Aboriginal dot painting, you know, they're, they're, they're bats. Yeah. And they're absolutely astounding. And we organised to go out and snorkel around them and you see them coming in the distance and then they just wondrous, incredible experience. But it was going to cost like $500 to go on this trip. And I remember calling back to my wife who's back at home, you know, just holding the fort and me going, yeah, look, um, I, I really, I've got to go on this. I've got to go on this trip as a bonding thing. Like, I mean, you know, it's like I couldn't just go... This is going to be awesome. I had to somehow make it sound like I was, it was a sacrifice I was making. <laughs> no, no I'm, really, I'm really lonely over here at the hotel room. Like today, I, you know, I, I got up 11. I had breakfast for two hours and then I went back to the hotel and I, oh, I had a nap for an hour, a half an hour. <laughs> And then I watched a movie and then I had to get to the theatre at six and, you know, and then, you know, the show was at seven. And then afterwards, oh, oh, there were so many people hanging around. I had to go and talk to them. I went and saw a couple of shows and uh, I really miss you. (laughs) (laughs) No, it doesn't help. Um, What is the failure you most cherish? Mm, My relationship. Um, (laughs) The failure... Look, the thing about failure, do people, do people really cherish failure? I mean, you can, mm. you go in retrospect with 2020 hindsight. Mm. Yes, that failure turned out to be, put me in a direction that I'm glad that I'm here and not there. But, you know, at the time, and failure is crucial, you mm. know, like, one of the things about comedy writing, but any kind of creativity, getting anything done, but certainly with comedy writing, you have to write. You have to write a thousand for every for every show you do. If if there's a thousand jokes in the show, you've got to write five hundred that don't work. Yeah, there's no getting around it. You've got to fail. You've got to embrace failure, but I don't know if you cherish it because it still hurts every yeah. every single time. Mm. So. Did that give you some thinking time, Carl? <laughs> oh, I've I've lost you on the oh no, hang on a minute. Where are you? I've lost you on the um uh, on the grid. On the on the oh there you are. There you are. Well, you were talking about I don't know whether we cherished it, Frank, but it was a good story. You were telling that story the other day about us doing hey hey as a as a trio. I don't oh, I yeah, don't so know, I don't I don't know whether I don't know whether we cherish it or whether we just like it because it's a good story. So well, we I'll were, tell the first did. half and you tell the second half. So okay. the people from Hey Hate Saturday came and saw us at the Prince Patrick, I think. And there were three of us in those days. And like Frank was saying before, Scott liked to do songs about the mundane. So we we did a song about Tats Lotto on a Saturday night about how you hang around waiting for Tats Lotto results and how it potentially could change your life. And it was very subtle and we sang it in falsetto. Single week, I put my tats that are farming like that, and just very small kind of movements and very plucky guitar. And so, hey, hey, it's Saturday. Said, and not many jokes, not, not many, many jokes, jokes in it. but kind of cute, whims- whimsical. And so, hey, hey, it's Saturday, go, will you come on and do a spot on Saturday night? And we go, yeah. And they go, we think you should do the Tats Lotto song. And we go, we don't reckon we should do the Tats Lotto song. And they go, no, it's Saturday night, it's on at 6 30. 
it's the night that people celebrate, you know, and get their Tatsoto numbers. And so they pay us like, I don't know, 150 bucks or something to go on as paid comedians. And then we come out <laughs> and we learn very quickly that you should stand as close to the audience as you possibly can, not where they tell you to stand, which is about yeah. 10 metres away from the audience. Right. So you've got no rapport. And so we did the song because they said that we want you to do that song. And we, you know, and I guess in some ways, this is a memory that you cherish because you realise that you should back your instincts. Mm. You know, and they said you should do this Tatsoto song. We said we sh we don't think we should. They said, could you? We go, oh, okay, because it's Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. And then anyway, it was a pre-recorded version of their show, which they did sometimes. And then it didn't get any laughs whatsoever. The audience would just... I think the technical term is died in the arse. Yes. And then, Frank, what happened? So it was pre-recorded on the Friday to go on, on air on the Saturday somebody we knew was in the audience and they said, you know, that during your performance, they brought up a, like a surtitle across the bottom that said, red faces rejects. And now, oh if that happened God. to me now, I think I would just go, oh, yeah, that was pretty shocking. The whole thing was shocking, you know. But at the time, maybe me more than the other two, you know, I was like indignant about that because, you know, it's just, which I don't think I would be anymore. But it's like, you know, they they hung us out to dry. You know, <laughs> we, we didn't even want to do that thing. And then, you know, how dare they do that to us? And um, so I said, look, either cut that bit out where it says Red Faces Rejects or just cut our whole act from the show. We don't want to be in the show. Edit us out or edit out that bit, as if I can make any demands or anything. But I was like... And they went, all right, we'll edit that bit out. And then when it went to air, they edited. <laughs> it's pretty funny, really, that they, they edited out that bit and they cut to a shot of the audience when nothing was happening on the stage, like just between between takes, when the audience were just like <laughs> talking to each other and stuff. So Fuck. it was like quite a brutal sort of little they obviously went well you know if you uh yeah eventually play this game yeah, yeah. So if you're going to make life difficult for us and be precious about it we'll take that so that that is i think something we learned is, is that you know learn to respect the person who's in control of the edit um don't don't shit them but i reckon i was about 20 years old when we did that and um I think I thought that that was going to have some big effect on me. The fact that I'd been kind of ritualistically humiliated on national television, that, that it was going to, that I was a laughing stock sort of thing. And it turned out that nobody gave a shit about it at all. It had no effect. There was no, I, I burned, my ego burned, but nobody else cared at all. I think Adam, I think Adam that you've had Lemo on your podcast and he's told a very similar story. Yeah, hey, hey, it's Saturday. Yeah, he, yeah, he was saying, in, you know, in, this is the end of my career. It's a bit like it's a bit like when you say, what are we going to call ourselves? Or or you know, like I think mm. I think I was talking to I think I think I was talking to Rusty Bertha, scared weird little guys, Rusty Bertha. 
and and somebody came up to him and said, "Oh, I saw you guys on Hey Hey. I saw you guys on Hey Hey. I thought you were great. I thought you were amazing." And he goes, "I think it was tripod." And the person went, "Yeah, same thing." <laughs> <laughs> but it it is true. It's like that that when you get a bad review or something, and you're walking down the street and you're thinking, "Everyone knows." No one yeah, knows. Looking at me. Yeah. 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 Nobody cares. And the flip side is also true. When you think that when something goes well and you think, mm. oh, this is going to be, I'm going to be celebrated by, you know, all and sundry. And it turns out nobody gives a shit. Just, <laughs> it was a little, it was a thing that went, came and went and they went, oh, you know, and then they were onto something, that, something else. Like we were, so, we were asked to do the, do the opening party of the AFI awards at the, exhibition center or something and we're we came up in a lift in a thunderbird um convertible and came through the audience and we just thought this is it we are gonna go places and the place we're gonna be wrecking it's all the we we, the place we went to was in the middle of two thousand people that had watched an award show and couldn't give a fucking shit about us (laughs) and only seven people could hear what we were saying and it was like we're going through the audience on the back of this car playing the guitar like a, a song about <laughs> trying to find a car parking space or something. And literally, like exactly as Cole says, we were about as compelling as if somebody was pushing a cart through with not even as compelling as if there was a cart with snacks on it coming through the crowd because we didn't even have snacks. We were snackless. Oh mate, yeah, it's it. The, there is always that kind of disconnect between what we think as performers and what actually happens. Um, yeah. Sometimes we get it right. One of the things that I hate, and this is just brought up when you said the award ceremony. A, a curse for me is um, is Jim Owen because I love Jim Owen and I love his comedy, but I also hate Jim Owen because <laughs> when we when we had about three experiences, I feel when we went out and we did a spot and it fell flat and we came up and we went, tough crowd, that's the problem, tough crowd. And then he went on after us and just killed, you know. So I kept, I feel like that's unforgivable. <laughs> that's right. He, that he should have failed like us. Yeah. <laughs> Where's We're, his loyalty? Where's his camaraderie? That's right. That's Which word or phrase do you most overuse? Um, because I, because I don't like confrontation, um, and I think because I don't, and as I'm even saying this, I'm realizing that this is a podcast and this is recorded for, do you say in perpetuity? Um, you can't, yeah, I guess until, you know, in 500 years, people are going to be watching this and, and then, and then you really, just, you're like, like there's going to be whole people thing. writing books about your answer. But just, will there be just, books then? There won't be books. I don't I'll know. Just, plug just into it. Just the mind high. Constant caveat. I think when it comes to any subject, I always precursor it with, in my humble opinion. Yeah. Just, yeah. just, just there's just like a get out clause. Mm. So it just kind of you know because sometimes. Frank and I say to the audience, you know, on the count of three, lower your expectations. <laughs> so just when it comes to 
I'm, I'm, this is just an opinion. And I'm also very hesitant and humble about putting it forward. So just in case, don't, 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 don't jump down my throat. It's just, yeah. it's just a bit of an opinion that I'm, I don't even, you know, because the next question you've got is, you know, what's the motto that, you know, that you, use? I'm, I'm mm. just going to jump ahead and say that my motto is, you know, it's better to be, it's better to remain silent and be thought of as an, a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. But if you're on QI, you do have to say, <laughs> you've something. To say something. You've got to say something. <laughs> you know, it's important to kind of back yourself and have confidence and all that, but humility surely is the golden virtue. Mm. You know, surely that's the best. It's not, if you're like a wet fish and you don't have any opinions, that's not good. But having humility surely is the is what we all aspire to. Mm. So I think- I mean, some, sometimes, I sometimes I say to other kind of younger performance performers, they say, have you got any advice? I mean, my other, my other mottos that I say to other people sometimes is, you know, the audience wants to like you. Mm. They're, they're, they're not, they're, they're not, they're not the enemy. They've come, they've, They've prepared, they've paid, they've parked, they've perhaps got babysitters. They've organised their day to come to this show at seven o'clock. They want to like you. Mm. They're not coming because they just can't wait for a moment of weakness where they can crucify. They, 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 they want to they, they be there. Mm. Mm. So um, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. That's a mm. good one as well. Um no. Have you? You're they, looking down. The way you're looking down. Have you just googled like cliche aphorisms or something? What's and you're that? just working your way the through Zoom, them. Zoom's breaking up. I can't hear the question. <laughs> um, and if you can't, if you can't be funny, be fast. That's another one that we. Use. <laughs> <laughs> um, Frank, any, any uh, words or phrases you overuse? I think I, mine's kind of the opposite of Cole's in a way that I reckon I say, you know, it's it's interesting. I say that before mm. before I say things all the time, and I think that it's it's like I, and Cole and will then, sometimes say, when, yeah, when Frank says this is uh, it's interesting, and I go, well, we'll be the judge of that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do have a habit of just of saying that too much, but that's but that's a ve- that's, that's a not very, a hangable offence. That's a that's a very Although you're not a politician and hopefully will never be one, but that's but that's a classic answer, isn't it, for a politician or somebody that wants to answer the question that they wish that you'd asked? Right. It doesn't matter what question you ask. Like, well, what are your thoughts on the bullying that's going on? Yeah, it's interesting because, and then they just say something that's got nothing right. to do with the question. <laughs> but I don't think I've got a motto. I, you know, I think like when Cole was saying about advice then that you would give to performers, I, I think the advice, the only advice I ever give is if this is in terms of comedy, if you want to do it, then do it. Like find, get as much stage time as you can. Mm. You know, obviously there's a whole genres now of people who make um, online content and videos and stuff like that, which is, a similar premise would still be just make stuff and you'll mm. find out, you know, but particularly for live comedy, nobody can tell you how to do it. 
nobody can tell you the right way, what's funny, what's not funny, any of that stuff. The only way you can find out is by finding, look for opportunities to get up on stage. I'm not mm-hmm. sure whether that's just that motto is going to take off as far as a bumper sticker, though. That it's going to take the whole bumper. It's going to take the whole bumper to get that in, though. That motto around the whole around, around the, the whole car. What, what, how could we it, make it more succinct? Opportunity, find stage time. Nobody's going to tell you how to do it. It does. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Well, how can we? How can we make that? How can we concentrate that into like a you know three or four or five word phrase? If you want to do it. Do it. How's that? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound banal at all. No. You want to do it. Shut do up. It. And we- if you don't want to do it, don't do it. And if you think you might want to do it, we'll think some more. And then when you've decided that you do want to do it, do it. But if you've decided you don't want to do it, at that point, don't do it. How That's dare you? Advice. How dare you, Frank? This is the first argument we're having in 30 years. Fuck you. Get fucked. <laughs> Guys, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. And on, on get fucked. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's blending. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning into Out of the Question. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show. And if you have a minute, please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Adam Zwa. Until next time, thanks for joining us.